this episode, I speak to Thomas Gibbons from Brightside Digital. We discuss leadership, predictions for SEO, and the impact of AI on marketing. Hi, Thomas. Welcome and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me on the show, Marie. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So to get started, can you tell us what kind of companies you work with? Yeah, so um, I have a few different government contracts, uh, the Innovation Exchange and Fervor. They're quite big um, startup and kind of uh, SME advice kind of businesses. They're, they're very good. At, the Innovation Exchange is very good at getting uh, SMEs in front of corporates. That's their, that's their model. And uh, Fervor is for all inspiring businesses uh, because of that. I, I work with a few different SMEs in, in various industries, some in um, the product kind of like tea and base like that and others around beauty and and in some financial services, your, your mortgage advice and, and those types of businesses. Right. So that's quite a diverse range. Um, what kind of services do you help companies with? Uh, good question. So a lot of it is around development and digital marketing. So uh, this year, especially a lot of dev work, a lot of migrations, um, building systems. So not just I I love WordPress and I, I, I encourage any client that works with me to go onto WordPress, get Elementor, and I try and pass back all that kind of work because um I don't want to be the business or I don't think any business should have limitations and not knowing how to put up their own web pages and things like that. So that's one side of things. And then I run digital marketing campaigns, whether it's uh, your paid search areas, whether that's your Google ads or your social ads, and then separately email marketing. I do a lot of work around either HubSpot or MailChimp, um, building in automated journeys, fleshing out that side of things. And then I'm very good at looking at the 360 of a business, identifying what's going to be the channels that works well for them, understanding in the bigger scale of an industry there, where their audiences are, looking at the insights of that, and then building digital marketing plans, but then also actioning a lot of the work. So that can be, in yeah, like I say, email, uh, SEO. I do a lot in that area. Um, I'm a huge advocate of technical SEO, so I make sure that's in place first. Um, and yeah, so thankfully I have quite a good background in development, so I build a lot of the technical as well as the the content, the, the visual things that a lot of people see. Okay, great. That's quite a diverse skill set there. Um, yeah. So you've worked with a lot of marketing teams and managed uh, big teams, some of which you've built yourself and others which you've inherited. So I'm always curious about what motivates people. Um, it's something I've looked into in great detail with no definitive answers. Um, but I'm really curious, what do you think motivates people? Um, you can always look at uh, the kind of demands, the, the triangle of what people want. First and foremost, money. Money and security is the two main areas. You can motivate anyone if you give them enough money. I think you see that in the world. 
But um, looking away from that, you, you can always look at, I find when you watch someone like Simon Sinek's TED talk and he talks about the why of a business and the core of a business, unfortunately, a lot of SMEs, especially, they're not in industries where their core products or their service is a big why, um, which is always a down, a, a, like it's not a downfall, but it's something that I think businesses have to be realistic and understand. And so if you don't have that why, you're never going to get people within the business to to have that higher level of motivation working with it so it's really about your kind of emotional intelligence understanding what people want providing them trying to stretch them enough that they're interested and they're comfortable and not alienating them putting them into situations not but um really to motivate people you have to understand what what they're about you know if they're if they are a creative and not just saying it, are they analytical or are they just saying it? You know, you have to work those things out. And um, especially when I was ro- running bigger teams, um, when I was CEO of the Tefl Academy, especially, um, it's it's all about trying to understand the people involved and, and understanding, okay, you're actually best placed in this project right now, this area. And then a lot of the time, especially for leadership, you don't you you always have to ask people that or you want to help people do work that you that you would do yourself you know you have to find something that's gonna um fortunately for me and me just talking a minute ago about what i do i've pretty much learned every aspect of digital so i'm not really go i'm not going to challenge someone and to put someone in a position where i can't put an arm over them and say look at this or, or train them around this but you do, because of that skill, I'm very good at understanding, okay, they are great for this or they're going to be, you know, looking at their phone for 20 minutes a day because they just want something different to to this um, scenario. So, yeah, it, it, it's really motivation comes from understanding people. Yeah. So, yeah. so what I got from that is that people are motivated by money. That's a common denominator. Beyond that, it's at an individual level. And in that case, you need to figure out what people's motivations actually are. And sometimes they don't always know that themselves. You might have someone who describes themselves as really creative, but they're not. Or someone who thinks they're really analytical, but when push comes to shove, they might be more creative. Would that be right? Yeah. Yeah. And people are complex. You know, you can have someone that's high energy and, you know, some they go come in a week something's happened personally and they're on a downer and you just have to understand and kind of read the room around people and say listen you know i'm going to take pressure off in this scenario because of you know you you have to you have to make those decisions it's a lot easier leadership wise being in the middle of a business than externally as well which is always um you know when you're you're assisting or training and and helping a, a client so to speak yeah definitely i think if you're outside a situation it's really easy to take a broad stroke and say everybody should do this everyone should do that but when you're in it you see the nuance and you've probably thought about all those things yourself you've gotten pushback and you've tried to move things forward so certainly the hands-on approach i think works best Um, definitely in, in terms of leadership um as a quality do you think is it something that people can learn 
or is it something that people are born with? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, it, your upbringing does reflect whether you're, you have leadership qualities. I suppose you can't force some of those skills, but definitely that there's so much to learn in leadership. Um, one of the best things I ever did actually before I went into my director role, I suppose, um, I, I read a book on uh, Good to Great, which is by Jim Collins. Um, and it gave me a really interesting insight into leadership. And he kind of breaks down different levels of leadership. And he talks a lot about level four and level five um, leadership. And, and this has been applied to other books and stuff as well. But to a quick summary is level four leadership is largely built around a person or a, or a star that you your your star player in your in your team in your business and if you build that person up to such a point you'll see it with you know tesla or spacex or anything that's built around elon musk the great thing and the the data that it shows within the book is that business can be brilliant for 20 30 years when that person's in control but a lot of those businesses that have had that kind of focal point really suffer once that person retires or leaves. And level five leadership is the the, the leaders in a business that are quiet. They it's not all about them. They're trying to always pass on. And no, reading that book and learning from some great people along the way in my career, um, I learned a lot of kind of little secret leadership tools and things where you can. Um, you can you can really motivate and and help a team just by understanding having the education behind it. So, yes, to your answer, um, I do think there's some natural skills, but there's definitely a lot of areas you can learn when when you're leading the team. Yeah, and um, you've mentioned a couple of books um, already. Um, are there any other courses or books that you'd really recommend for someone who's maybe um, new in a people management role? Um. I think some of the best things, some of the best things is you learn from good leaders. And so if, if you're young in an industry and you want to learn a lot, you should try and gravitate to the people that are leading very well and, and pick up their traits. And you don't have to be switched on saying, oh, I need to learn this. Just being in their presence, learning the way how they operate, their organizational skills, their communication skills, you kind of, it, it brushes off in you definitely. Yeah. They say we're the sum total of the six people we spend the most time with. So it makes sense that if you want to be good at leadership, spend time with good leaders. Exactly. Really well said. <laughs> and when you're building a team, what qualities do you look for in general? Um, you cannot be someone that is good natured and good spirited and and really does want the role for all the right reasons if someone in an interview process shows a huge willingness to learn someone that just wants to be a sponge but also seems to have a good nature and common sense around them that they're going to be they get they get that they're one of a team especially when there's a team around them um it's very important to have someone that has those traits and I, I would choose that over experience every day actually 
Okay, so you would choose someone that has like good nature, someone that wants to learn, someone that wants to fit in and um, expand in the team. Um, how do you assess the quality? And is there a way to dig deeper to see if what they're telling you can correlates with, say, the reality? Yeah, so so um, I, I when I'm in an interview process, I'm always given a test. I, I always do a, a two set, at least a two set interview. I try not to go into a free because of the time it might take for the under the other candidate. But um, I, I'll definitely do some sort of tests. But when I when I'm trying to find out their character, it's very difficult when um, you're meeting someone for the first time to get their nature. And people always you know, in an interview process, always trying to show themselves their their best self, but they also could be nervous and things like that. So you're always trying to um, change that. But uh, one of the things at Circle K, actually, that I always used to keep an eye out of is how they would be with the receptionists or, or members of staff that might be the face of the business when you walk in the building, but it's how they're going to be around other people that's a really good testament and a, and a way. And it's hard always saying these kind of tr- tricks, Marie, because you don't want the wrong people to hear that and then present. <laughs> to, yeah. but, but there is definitely, there's, you, you have to be, you have to have a level of emotional intelligence around yourself to, um, to understand if someone is kind of good natured in that way. But um, the, the way they interact with other people. Um, everyone's kind of nice to their boss to some extent. It's actually when they're around their own peers or peers that they might deem below them, that's a really good sense of someone who has good nature or not. Yeah, certainly. Um, For me, I've always thought that the interview process is a bit broken. Um, You know so much about the candidate before they come in, but all they know about is what they've seen on the website. And some of them don't even bother with that. But definitely when you go into an interview, you have to impress. Um, but it's really meant to be a two-way street. It'd be like if you had an online date with someone and you meet them for coffee and you know after 20 seconds that you never want to see them again. But as a candidate, you still have to act like this is still the dream job um, because you don't want your reputation to suffer. But I think things like, um, and this is never part of a interview process because it might be too daunting, but if you could take them for coffee or for lunch because the environment is so out of, it's so unusual from the office environment that I think you'd really get to see how they treat the wait staff. They couldn't hide that for, say, 30 minutes in a public environment. So that's one thing that I think would help. But yeah, as I say, I think the entire process itself is a bit broken. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very much for that, especially when it's you're down to you you've wheeled it down to a few candidates, and you you hit the nail on the head with the website and things like that. Um, I was always very open minded in the first interview that people might not have done that particular research, and I wouldn't hold it against them. It was normally the task or work I do between interview one and two is when I'd expect a bit more professionalism and and for them to take it seriously, because really the sign of them getting into the second phase would be, I'm seriously considering hiring you. Um, 
there is expectations to be here. Um, and, and that would be made clear in between. The task would always revolve around something. See, a lot of my hiring was around marketing. So a lot of the tasks could be something within their role, but always specific to the business or it wouldn't, well, it wouldn't necessarily be specific to the business, but I would incorporate and want them to, to acknowledge they've been around the site and there'd be certain things that I would always try and, especially in the first interview or in the, the text after and in, in, in me setting them, setting the task, I'd be highlighting what we've just worked on or what we've just done because you, if especially if you're joining a team, I, you're almost setting the bar of this is what we do, this is what we're doing currently. This is what we've just done. How are you going to assist in this process? We know your role, but if we had had you for that campaign, how would you assist? And that's when you see the enthusiasm, the 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 will to learn, the will to work, and more acknowledgement about the business you're working for. Yeah, um, that makes sense. For me, I've always been against um, the task at a senior level. If it's an entry-level position and the person has no experience, of course, set them a task. You want to make sure they can actually write a social media post and write an email. But I think if they're at a senior level, I really don't like the idea of doing tasks because I think they should have a portfolio. So like that, if they've written a series of blogs or emails or if they worked on a web campaign, I think that would speak volumes because it's work they've actually done rather than something they're doing bespoke for the company for free. and the work they've actually done for the company is what they would be doing day to day anyway. So presumably they've put a hundred percent into that or else they wouldn't be sending that on to you. So that's, a, that's my two cents. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I have, and probably will do the, the, the task thing because only because with senior roles, especially, uh, and it depends on this task that we're talking about. Um, you don't want someone to just get by just um, ordering. It depends on the size of the business and fairness, but um, I, I want to see that level of work within them, whether they're going to be doing the work or not. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of people that can talk the talk, especially in the digital industry uh, and don't necessarily roll up the sleeves and, and do the work then. Um, so I, I would always be trying to keep a key and eye on uh, are these just a talker rather than a doer? Um, but that's, yeah, that's how I see that. Okay, great. Um, so as you said, obviously you've led a lot of big um, teams. How do you find the balance between being like a supportive and likable leader versus um, being just an out and out people pleaser, trying to get along with everybody? Yeah, I, I struggle with that. Um, but the reality is, um, I, I, I suppose I've always just had a, an edge to me where I can be, yeah, I, I believe I can be likable, but I, I don't really shy away from uh, confrontation or, or just saying things how it is. Um, but the one thing I would say with that is I would always pull someone aside. Um, I wouldn't do it in front of other people because that shame. And I've experienced that in my own career where you might have done something a mistake. And I obviously 
you have bad management and good management and you're made a scene of and that can sit with someone a lot longer than it should so um always so just pulling them for a chat yeah it's as simple as that and it's it's really if someone is being a being a leader um, if someone is underperforming, that's when the task is difficult. If everything's going well and the team's happy and everything else, that's you know that's a great moment. But when it's the flip side and, and things aren't going well, that's when you're actually really doing your job. And pull people aside, but also give people a plan and expectations. You know, there's, there's so many tools out there that can keep an eye on people's work or, or certain things. You know, we had. In, in our leads, our sales, our, our customer service and sales teams, we had uh, recordings of all their communications with customers or potential customers. Um, so, so you're already getting a track record of where it is. And, and we integrated ScoreBuddy in that system to evaluate and and improve the, the sales and, and customer service team from a, from a marketing thing where things can be more objective. Um, having a good understanding of analytics and where the business is going is always a key aspect of that. But, um, you know, and there's, there's loads of reasons why people might be low in performance. It might not be your business or the management. It could be something externally. So you have to, again, I go back to something that's not talked about enough, but emotional intelligence and understanding that everyone's different and their buttons are pushed in a different way. And it's just about understanding um, your members stuff. Yeah, I think communication is a lot of it too. And yeah, there's a lot to be said for pulling someone aside and having a chat with them. Um, if you do it in the right way, it can actually build a relationship with your employee because they know you're being honest and open and you're saying it to them, not about them. And if there's a plan, they can upskill and those new skills that they learn can help them throughout their career. Um, equally, yeah, I think emotional intelligence is often overlooked, but I think it is great to have a set of targets to work to. So if the person knows they're supposed to do X amount of work, if they get that done, um, everything is hunky-dory and a-okay. Yeah, or like a sign of any good business is KPIs across the business. You know. Yeah. Um, that's something you should instill, especially if you're trying to grow as a business, have your KPI set, have your business targets. Um, I was so transparent in the business at times, I would give the kind of overall business goals and objectives. And we, for the marketing team, we had a marketing calendar, calendar that would be updated with everyone's targets. So it was there in front and center and being, especially when I was CEO, being um, so close to the numbers every day and trying to think of, you know, so many different spinners, spinning plates and departments and different time zones, you you could see quite early when the performances were dipping. And a lot of the time, you know, you just have a call first and foremost just to see, okay, what's the reason for this? What what do you think's happening here? And and what do you think of this? And and really start pushing it down and like you say, communication is key, but a good leader would would be anticipating the downfalls and, and the issues that might be arising. Yeah, definitely. 
And moving on to more technical matters, we hear a lot about ChatGPT and AI in general. What impact do you think AI is going to have on marketing in general in the coming couple of years? Um, it's going to take a lot of jobs. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of jobs, but not it will take them in its current form. And we have to adapt, uh, especially in marketing. Um, I, I use Sonic daily now for for content and producing content in different areas. Um, and that kind of content I can produce, I can produce posts and articles in probably 10% of the time I previously could, but it's not, AI is always going to need that human impact and to make things more human. Um, but the impact of AI in general is, it's a huge time saver right now. There's, there's more than enough platforms that could apply to I believe every business um, industry out there, um, but especially in, in digital marketing and, and coding. Um, you know, I, I worry for web development because I think 52% of GitHub, which is like, you know, the, the where most programmers and devs um, put their body of work and that's where you run your production sites, your, your test sites and stuff. Um, 52% of GitHub is now being written by AI. It was confirmed this year. So, so we've already surpassed the, the, the threshold of the 50, 50 in, in terms of, of code being developed by people and, and AI. Um, so what anyone listening that, wants to keep up the trends and if you've been in the digital industry like ourselves marie for such a period of time we've always had to adapt you know there was always a new shiny thing there was always a new paid platform system and stuff that's that's the be all and end all but ai will now completely change the working day but if applied correctly um it will be a huge advantage and time saver for for people um, it, it doesn't mean we go from, you know, eight, nine, 10 hour days to, to one hour days because AI is beside us now. It's not going to mean that you're going to still do your work hours, but you're going to have to adapt. And actually the output of businesses should be much higher, but it should allow people to be more creative, um, come up with better campaigns, better ideas and implement their ideas easier rather than, you know, uh, um, again, kind of the world's going to end kind of AI output. It's, uh, you have to be optimistic about all of this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think there's huge potential with AI. Um, like if you look through history, there's always been things like that. It's like with the advent of mass production in factories, um, people thought like, oh, we're going to lose lots of jobs. No, there's more factories, so there's more jobs. Um, it's the same with farming and agricultural machinery. Um, it makes it easier. Um, but even in the marketing sector, with marketing automation, um, you need more marketing people to get it working for you. I think with AI, there's going to be there's going to be more need of people who know how to use it correctly, and um, there could potentially be more jobs for people uh, within that sector. It certainly makes things easier, which just means that there'll be a higher standard. But ultimately, I think that's better for. Um, the end user and for people in general but I think there's going to be huge opportunities there too 
Completely, completely agree. It, like any industry, unfortunately, the the low the lower skilled roles are always the ones to go first. And AI is going to be no different. You know, it, it's 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 lower skilled work that is going to be taken, um, but then it should free up time and opportunity for for pushing on and and, and making huge things. And it, it's it's in every industry. When you were talking farming there. Um, I was thinking about there's a, there's a new AI adapted like laser scanner that goes across fields, um, basically zapping, um, burning the weeds that might be coming up on fields before they've even got started. But uh, people might say, oh, that means, you know, it's going to have these effects and that. The reality is just the amount of yield that farmers can produce from their crops from that soil you know, AI invention is going to be huge, which means more food, which, you know, is, is something in itself. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of SEO, how do you think that will change in the next 12 months? Uh, in the next 12 months is probably too soon, but it's everything's going to change to, to it's all going to be around brands. Um, any of the big Google speakers, any of the updates, everything's being driven around branding, branding, branding. Um, what's going to happen in the next couple of years is it's not going to be a Google search results or a Bing search results where there's going to be multiple ads. It's going to just be one. So when you think of your audio devices in your car or your Alexa and stuff like that. If you say Alexa, um, find the nearest hairdressers to me or f f find a hairdressers near to me, it will be that one business who is the standout candidate in that local search that's going to get the result. Um, it won't be any of the others. So, so that's where SEO will go. That's the end goal. Um, that's the end goal for search is to produce the best search result. Um, so I would really recommend any business uh, listening to, to focus on branding. So yeah, try and um, take in as many search terms and use content um, to try and take in that search while it's still available. I'm not trying to put you off that, but really think about your, your branding budget and how you can get your, brand your business name to number one great um that, that was really interesting today um speaking of getting your brand to number one if somebody wants to get in touch with you how would they do so sure yeah yeah um it's uh, uh thomas gibbons on linkedin or my company is brightsidedigital.io and obviously the email address is info at brightsidedigital.io Okay, that's great. Thanks very much, Thomas. Uh, thank you, Marie. Thank you so much for this. Uh, yeah, love, love speaking with you. Love it. Love it.